I am Ben Doc Askins, the psychedelic science war storyteller, and this is the Anti-Hero's Journey Podcast. Hey everybody, Doc here. If you're enjoying the podcast and you want it to be possible for me to continue to make it, then I'm going to need you to go to my store at antiheroesjourney.com and buy my audiobook and my ebook in one of the many translations available, or go to shop and pick out some of my stuff t shirts and hats and pet bandanas and bikinis and scented candles and all sorts of nonsense, all the things you could ever want and never need. And get 10% off with the code, all caps, FRIEND10. Go to antiheroesjourney.com and use the code, all caps, FRIEND10 to get 10% off anything that you could ever want there. I appreciate your support. Thank you. I love you. Goodbye. What's up, all you anti-heroes out there? Doc Askins here with another Q5 podcast for you, where I'm asking my guests my five favorite preparatory questions that I usually use in ketamine-assisted therapy contexts. Today, I've got a treat for you. The guest I've got is Dr. Sarah Bliss-Matusik. She is a neuroscientist and public health professional with a passion for finding solutions to societal challenges in mental health, substance use, and and homelessness. Her work has largely included health system transformation efforts in the U.S. and Haiti. Sarah, welcome to the podcast. Thanks. Happy to be here. Let's kick it off with question number one. What is your story? All right. I just read an article that you wrote a couple days ago about how some people are really long-winded at this and it pisses you off. (laughs) So I'm going to attempt to be... That that feels like an unfair summary, but I accept it. (laughs) You should accept it because it's very true. (laughs) No, I was trying to think about which parts of it to tell. You've heard all of it, which is great. So none of this will be new, but there are different parts and pieces of yourself that you give to different audiences. Like, oh, everyone's got their elevator pitch sort of story. And the one that I've been telling professionally is a certain sort of capsule. So I'm going to try and kind of actually go both ways on this and not be too long. So... I mean, for anyone who cares, I grew up in the Northeast, born in New York, and then was in Ohio for a sort of formative upbringing, and then hung out in Connecticut for a minute, and then back in Ohio. So we moved around a lot because my father wasn't military. Well, actually, he was before I was born, but he was an engineer and just loved change. So that comes into my story, which is why I mention it. So I did during high school a lot of things that put me on a path to becoming a lawyer until I figured out what lawyers actually do and ran screaming for the hills straight into science and medicine. And becoming a doctor seemed like something that people were sort of excited about whenever I talked about it. So I was like, well, I think that I'll just do that because I'm good at science until I got to undergrad and realized after a couple of years that I hated working with patients which is funny because I actually really like working with people now, but treating patients, once I started doing it as an EMT and on some overseas trips with friends where we would do basic primary care where we probably weren't, shouldn't have been doing some of the things that we were doing, I just didn't enjoy it. I didn't find any passion. It was sort of N of one to N of one to N of one. And I kind of wanted to do something a little bit bigger than that. And so 
When you say things that you shouldn't have been doing, I think you probably mean like the situation called for them, but your level of expertise didn't match the situation. Is that probably yeah, accurate? Yeah, that is fair. You know, and I mean, actually, it's funny. I'm in safety and quality now in a lot of healthcare situations. So yeah, I wasn't, no one was being unsafe, but there was also a lot of somebody needs something and there is no qualified healthcare professional around to give them what they need. And I have access to this prescription drug that I know will solve this problem. And so, you know, we would dole out some meds and different things. It was very safe, but sad, actually. So I didn't enjoy that work. I really started to enjoy the public health work aspect of what we were doing overseas. So I had in my the back of my head that I might eventually want to go into public health. And I did, but it took a really long time to get there because I just happened to hang out in an advisor's office, I think, you know, maybe junior year of college. And he was sort of like, well, maybe you could, you know, go get a doctorate. And I was like, well, I don't think I want to go to medical school anymore. So why not? <laughs> so I applied to a bunch of programs and got into one in Rochester and at like the ripe age of 20 years old, I moved there and started a PhD program. And I, I felt very fish out of water in some ways, but very happy that I at least had a plan and something that I was sort of, you know, working towards. Because what you can do in those programs is you can stop at a master's and just kind of hop and go do something else. But the reason it was so attractive is because it is working towards something that, you know, is useful in the future for a couple different things. I'll get into that in a second. But the other reason is that they pay you to go, which is something I keep trying to tell everyone that doesn't know about it is you can go and get a PhD for free and they actually will pay you to live. I mean, it's not a lot, but it's enough for you know a 21-year-old to, to live. And they, they cover your health insurance and all these different things. So like medical school is going to put you in about like, you know, a hundred to some $500,000 of debt and you could go get a PhD and it's free. You could get an MD PhD and it's also free. So just, just so you're aware. Just a little Easter egg to throw out there for anybody that's interested. I know. I just, I wish that we would be teaching some of these things like practical fields that you can go into that don't put you into the amount of debt that I've seen some of my friends get into. So anyways, I knew, <laughs> twist story plot change here. I knew about the first minute that I stepped on campus that I wasn't going to be a scientist long-term. What's funny is I am a scientist and always will be, but I wasn't going to do the traditional route that most people take. It was pretty unattractive to me. Get a doctorate in, I was a neuroscientist, get a doctorate in neuroscience, write a bunch of grants get a job at some university, have a lab, eventually attempt to get a tenure track professorship. You know, then you'll be teaching and you'll be running a lab. A lot of people do that and they're wonderful at it. And I'm really happy that they're doing what they're doing, but I never felt like that was going to be my path. What's funny is that at the time I didn't know what it should be if it wasn't going to be that, which was really concerning. So basically I landed in this lab with like fortuitously divine oriented, whatever it was with this mentor who probably changed the whole course of my life, but was also really welcoming to me as a scientist that wasn't going to really be a scientist, if you will, like very open to chatting with me about other options, industry, or kind of was talking me through all the different things that you could do if you had the skill set and this knowledge. The other thing I did while I was there was teach, which is what most graduate students do. And I really enjoyed that. I always have, I always will. And so the thing that propelled me to finish the thing over five or six years was 
I can eventually teach college or graduate students and just do that. That's an option for me. And that was what I think kept me going day in and day out when I wanted to quit basically on a weekly basis. I loved the work. I loved the science. But I will say that when you are that out of control of the outcomes of the work that you're doing, it's very frustrating, especially for a control freak like myself. You can design and plan and create hypotheses all you want. But if you don't know the answers to the questions that you're asking, actually, things can go wrong and you don't have any control over that. That was really challenging to me, for me in science. And it's why I knew that I wasn't going to be doing it long term. You know, as that same PI said to me, I think this is really useful for like anybody. You know, if you really love what you're doing when it's going right, that's great. But you have to love what you're doing when it's going wrong in order to continue doing it. And that was never the case for me in this particular field. And so I knew I needed to kind of figure out something different, which I did. I mean, just took a long time to get there. I did finish. I moved to Boston. I did a postdoc fellowship at Harvard. I continued to feel like this wasn't my path, but I just was doing it because it worked out. And then I I hit this point where I was like, okay, time is now to quit and put this aside or away for a minute and go actually and do public health. And that was a really relieving, life-giving movement or or shift change for me. So I I went over and hung out at Boston University for a couple of years and did a master's in public health. And that was so fun. I mean, the difference between the two programs was stark. It wasn't that I hated the first and loved the second. They were just very different. The second was very practical, lots of project-based work, lots of thinking about idealism and big change on systems and state and country and world level, which is exactly what I was looking for. So the way that I describe it to people is that I moved from feeling like all of the work that I was putting in was a drop in the ocean of the scientific knowledge community. And that is absolutely necessary. People have to be doing that. And I read it all the time. And I use that information that other people are slaving away to create all the time. But for me, it was much more life-giving to move into something that had a little bit of a greater impact like public health. And what's really kind of fun is that since then, I've married the two together in pretty unique ways. And I think what I'm about to do now in this next sort of chapter of my life is this really cool amalgamation of the two things together. I just didn't, you know, I couldn't see that at the time because hindsight. Well, and that's question number two, shifting from the past to the future. What are your intentions going forward? Great. So I will say that in the last decade of working in the public health field. It was really more like health management and policy, which sounds super boring. And it kind of is to people that aren't into it. What I've realized is that my intentions were for the last decade in the work that I was doing were to support health systems transformation work. I think I put that in the bio, which sounds a little strange, but what it really means is that we have a system of healthcare in our country that is obnoxiously complex. It's really difficult to navigate. It's hard to understand for people. I do teach on it at a couple different schools. I'm about to teach some med students here in Spokane about it. But the way that we transform it is within the box that it is. Like you can only operate in these certain guardrails that are already created because of our insurance, the way things get paid for really. I mean, if you just follow the money, that's where it all is. But also we're trying to use money in ways that 
better take care of people that are most disadvantaged. That was really exciting to me that people actually cared about that, that we could find ways to use less money to do a better job at taking care of our elderly and people with multiple chronic illnesses and different things. And eventually I moved into sort of this untouched area in a way, which is like mental health and substance use. When I first started working in public health was scary. It was this unexplored in a way in public health, it was like, we, there's just not much we can do about that. So here are the three things that you do for those people. And we're just going to leave it alone. And the historical context around that is fascinating. And there are books about it, but I'm getting to my intentions, which are to take all of those things that I've done before in science and in public health, and then in health systems. And then eventually I did quite a bit of work in the mental health space at a systems level. And pull it together and find ways to influence policy at the national level so that we can actually get the solutions that people are finding. And again, slaving away to find and report on and publish. And then the clinical practice that people are doing, not just here, but in other countries and other places and pulling all of that together. And then communicating it to people that are making decisions that matter in a way that is not just informative, but motivating and exciting and influential. Because that's the like secret sauce that I think I can add to all that. And I've been practicing a little bit over the last 10, 12 years is you can sit and tell somebody something in a way that makes them want to stab your eyes out. And you can sit and tell something to someone in a way that makes them excited and want to act on it and actually do something. And so that's my intent is to actually make change in this country and maybe others in that particular space. Since that's my jam, I probably could do it in any space that I decided to go into, but I've got a lot of knowledge and skill and experience in this particular one. So I intend to really kind of do something with all that in a way that's exciting and motivating and will actually move the needle. And our national and state, frankly, policy around these types of issues is there's a lot of people doing that work right now. I'm not going to walk in and be like, I'm the only one, but I'd like to sort of join coalitions that are already doing this work and sort of add my piece and flavor to it. So I think that's kind of where I'm headed. I'm going to move the fourth question down to the third spot then and ask you, what are you creating in that regard? You talked about maybe collaborating with some folks or how exactly do you see those intentions creating something? Right. So I've been thinking about this a lot lately. Thanks for sending these questions ahead of time, by the way. Otherwise, I would have been like, what? So I had this sort of epiphany moment last week when I was noodling on this one a little bit because I was thinking about all these different ways that I'm pulling all these like past experiences and the knowledge and all these things together. But like what it is that I'm creating and have been creating, but I'm really excited to continue is uh, I'm going to use a metaphor from my neuro background. So our brains when we're babies are made up of just a mess of connections. I mean, they're just, everything's connected to everything and it's not really in any it's in a specific way, obviously, because it was designed, if you will, that way. But your frontal cortex is connected to your amygdala, it's connected to you know your occipital. It's all just connected. And then as we grow and learn and develop, those connections start to change. The ones that are important and used get strengthened and thickened, and the ones that aren't get sort of winnowed away, and then that material is used elsewhere. And so you end up with, by 26, this really intricate, beautiful grouping of connections all over the place that are 
meaningful. They actually mean something. And so I think that what I'm trying to create and have been really for a long time are connections. And so I've always been very passionate about connecting myself to other people, always passionate about connecting people to people, and then people to ideas, and then ideas to maybe better ideas, and then connecting better ideas to action, to actually solutions. And so the way that I see it is I'm trying to create this giant network of connections of people and ideas and solutions and change that actually moves to not just the outcome of, let's say, better solutions for mental health problems. Like, yes, of course, but like, it's like the cliche, the journey is also a wonderful thing. But when people get connected with people, big things happen all the time. So the sum of all of those connections is going to be so much bigger than whatever that solution is, because they just are more of themselves and they spin off and do all these really cool things. Like I have these huge parties at my house all the time. And I like to bring different people that I've met from different parts of the city and state actually. And then they meet and then they end up doing things together. It happens all the time. And it's like little conferences at my, my house. And so I'm, I'm really interested in seeing where that goes, but I want to be intentional about it. Like, I don't want it just to be like, I'm creating connections like a baby, like all over the place for no reason at all. You know, you try something out, you talk to someone, if there's a there there, you feel it intuitively. And then you kind of strengthen that connection. You talk to that person more, you push into that. Or if you think of an idea and it has legs, like you want to think more about it and push into it, you know, but if you have an idea about like mixing hot sauce with your peanut butter and jelly sandwich, like you might try it and be like, that is a terrible idea. So let's leave that one on the side. So I think that's what I'm creating is like a giant neural network of people and ideas, but it does have a little more feels to it. Like I'm making it all like stark and neuroscientific. You know, I think that there's a lot of love there too, just so you know. It's like a whole person connectome rather than just the neural connections, right? Like you're connecting people to people so that those connections strengthen rather than getting winnowed away as you described it before, right? That whole person can be kept from winnowing away by these sorts of dinner parties or businesses or healthcare systems or what else? The sky's the limit, right? It is. Yeah, it's pretty exciting. Strategic Navigators reduced my income tax bill by over 50%. These guys save entrepreneurs anywhere from 40 to 60% on their income taxes. Click the link in the description to schedule a call and see what these guys can do for you. If you enjoy paying as much as possible in taxes, then just ignore everything I just said. So, third question, fourth, what are you grateful for? Oh, lots of things. I'm a pretty positive person by nature. I think like I tend to be glass half full or overflowing, frankly. But here's something I've been thinking about lately, and I hope this isn't more of a downer, but <laughs> I actually have a responsibility to be grateful for the privilege that I am afforded. We've been doing a lot of you know, in the last four years or so in businesses and other places, thankfully, a lot of like diversity, equity, and inclusion work and talking about that lots of people probably seen that circle of privilege wheel. I just think about it all the time. Like, where are you in terms of race, gender, ethnicity, religion, you know, sexual orientation, all those things. And when I was first taught it and I looked at it, I actually, I mean, I probably almost started shaking or crying. Like 
I have every single one of the privileged items on that list, except for being a woman. And that's the one I'm always like yelling about, like, ah, no one's taking me seriously because I'm a, I'm a woman. But the reason that I'm grateful for it is because I should be, but also because I have a responsibility to use that privilege and my upbringing and the education I've been afforded and those things to then pay very close attention to the humans in this world that are at a very significant disadvantage and help them become whatever they want for like a life that is full and happy and complete. So that's something I've been thinking You're about. Strengthening the winnowed ones. Yes, strengthening the winnowed ones because they got disconnected from privileged society a very long time ago. So that's something I've been really thinking about lately. I'm also just, I think it, it bears saying really grateful for the people along the way that have really kind of breathed into my life and been like some of those strong connections that have lasted or even were short, but just really impactful and created a, whatever it is in me that is me now that I think is moving in a positive direction. There are so many of them, but I've, and I've always loved people. So that makes a lot of sense. And then the third one I wanted to make, make a point about, which is, it's cool. Cause you're wearing an Ure Colorado shirt right now. I like, I'm obsessed with the earth. It's so cliche to say it, but I don't even care. Like I love traveling and I love seeing beautiful things and they're everywhere. Like the people here are pretty great, but like this earth is amazing. And I'm so grateful that I get to go and experience and walk all over it and see waterfalls and, and different things. So that's kind of something I've been thinking about a lot this year. And I'm really happy that I get to get the time now that I'm not working constantly because I'm, you know, I've been able to take a little bit of a step back and not work all the time. So I've been able to kind of go outside a lot and that's pretty awesome. So there's that. Yeah. It's good to be an earthling. It is. All right. Final question. Who are you really? Okay. I have to write this one out because I was on the plane, a plane last night trying to think about the answer to this one. So I've been traveling a lot this summer and, you know, I see people from all over the world taking selfies in front of monuments that only they care about. (laughs) No one's ever going to look at their selfie really and be like, oh, this is so exciting. I think that being one of like 7 billion people in this world taking selfies in front of monuments can make us feel really small. And so I am, I am really small, but I think that who I am really is someone who desires to make an impact that's much, much bigger than myself. Like I'm just not interested in small at this point. I'm really interested in being a person who leaves a legacy, not because it's me leaving it, but because it's better. You know, I want to leave this place much, much better than I came to it in some ways. And I think that because of the things that I mentioned that I'm grateful for, I have a responsibility to do as much as I possibly can to enhance or greaten that impact, whether it's through other people, because I I love influencing other people. I love motivating them. That's actually something I'm planning to go into in the near future is probably some coaching because it's so fun. I'm not a great therapist, but I am a pretty good coach. You can be the therapist. And I just like, I really am a lover of people and I'm entirely enamored with humor. I think that's one thing. I was like, who am I really? I am kind of, I, I can be pretty funny. And I like being funny because I like making people laugh. And I kind of, I have this like little hunch that that might be what saves us all. <laughs> is a little bit of humor. A little bit of humor. Yeah. 
So that's who. And I'm not selling anything. So I'm not promoting my book. I'm not starting. I am starting a couple new companies, but I don't need anyone to know or care about them. So I think that what I really want to like do right now is just make people feel really good and hopefully get them to start thinking about doing good for other people. Yeah. I think that's a beautiful thing. I think it's like some like hitchhiker's guide to the philosophy approach to taking care of the whole planet, right? Well bring said. a little humor in. Yes. 42. <laughs> <laughs> I love that so much. That's perfect. Do you have any final thoughts you'd like to share? I think that it's probably really difficult for a lot of people to talk about themselves for a half hour like this. It's not fun for me either. However, I do think that I'm getting better at just sort of owning the things that I've done as pretty unique to me and getting excited about future possibilities and all the things that we can all do together. Like we have such a cool network of people that from college, I mean, I know you from college, from, I have people from grad school. I have people from, I lived in Boston for 10 years and I now have people all over the world just from that experience of living there, you in the military, like the people that we have in our spheres that bounce ideas off of each other and talk to each other are really exciting. And I am increasingly trying to pull in folks from very different backgrounds, different religions, different philosophies, different political views, God forbid, to make sure that I'm keeping myself from becoming insulated in a bubble of thought that's not varied or true. This is going to be longer than I expected it to be, because here's the thing. Living in Boston for 10 years, we had this, you know, I worked at a, in healthcare consulting and at a fairly left-leaning type organization. And a lot of the work that I do tends to fall on that side of the aisle in a lot of ways. Public health does, because <laughs> it has a lot of redistribution of wealth kind of concepts behind it. And so for a decade, I lived in that world. And then I was suddenly challenged by two things. One, 2016's election, I think was very eye-opening. I, I didn't understand or think that there could be a world in which more than even close to half the country would kind of lean one way over another. It was very surprising to me that 95% of the country weren't Democrats, <laughs> which is so silly to say out loud. But I mean, when you're just living and operating in one environment with a certain group of people that all think the same way as you, that is where you're at. And then the second thing that pushed it even further into the other direction in a good way is moving to Washington state and not just Seattle is very blue, but Spokane, Washington is pretty purple. And if you step about three feet outside of it, it's extremely red. And that has been wonderful. Like meeting people and hearing their stories and what's important to them and what their priorities are. I, I love it. I think it's fantastic. There's a lot of, there's a big air force base here. So there's a lot of military. It's just so unique. And so the parting thought is not about my experience with those things, but what I've been trying to encourage other people to do is to like get outside of their insular Facebook groups where they're talking about things that they all believe and think the same way or read a book that challenges your brain in some other way or talk to somebody who might think differently than you, hang out with someone who's in a different religion and have a conversation about it without judging and having a, a little bit more of an open mind. I mean, I'm a little bit cynical that people are even able to do this anymore <laughs> in some ways. But I think that I at least have changed over the last decade or so and have become able to do that. And so I just am trying to like tell everyone in the world to at least try a little bit because it makes a huge difference. And we can get so much more done if we're not just 
hanging out behind our barricade, like chucking shit bombs at people who don't think like we do. So there's that. Uh, Like Rocky Balboa says at the end of the fourth movie, after he defeats the Russian super soldier by letting him wear out his fists on his face, he says to the Russian crowd, if I can change and you can change, anyone can change, right? (laughs) What a great one. Hearing you describe everything at the end of this podcast here, I think I'm going to think of you and the work that you're doing as like the brain-derived neurotrophic factor of public health systems. I think you're the the BDNF, BDNF in that network PH. there. Yeah. Yeah. There it is. Oh, my yeah. gosh. I like it. I think you, you can use that. You can use that one for free. I don't, I don't need it. I already wrote it down. Nice. All right. Well, it's been a pleasure hosting you on this, my friend. Thanks. So good to see you as usual. As always, Doc out.